My name's Sam Towns. I am Alex Norton. And I am Coy Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. Uh, and that go. was Max sneezing another... in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to hear Max sneezing in the background. You're going to hear my chooks in the background because I currently have one being uh, put in the chicken care unit because she busted a leg. So All right. apologies to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and you will hear but the yes, ice... We have ice clinking in my glass so (laughs) (laughs) we have koi from uh baker forge tool here on the show thank you very much for joining us absolutely thanks for having me guys but before we get into the show let's take a moment to thank our sponsor this week's forge cast comes to you thanks to weber abrasives the aussie abrasive supplier of choice give rob a call or visit webers.net.au when you're next stocking your shop and of course don't forget to visit the handsome fellows at nordic edge suppliers of all of the very best toys and supplies for knife makers in australia and international check them out to stock up today at nordicedge.com.au so people who are not people who are not familiar with Koi, uh, I am known. Anyone who's talk, heard me talk for more than thirty seconds knows that I am a massive fan of Kumai steel. Koi makes me look like I am not interested at all in Kumai steel. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but we'll get into what he does and how amazing his products are. Um, and a little background on him as well. Meet the the maker behind the awesome steel billets. But first, let's get into what we've been doing this week. What have you been up to, Sam? Yeah, um, I've been <laughs> working on uh, these files, uh, the graver sets for um, the beginner graver sets that I've been planning out for months trying to finally get those finished. I finally filed up the last of them and now I just need to get the kiln set up with the PID so that I can do the heat treatment on the wall. Mm. Um, Is this the little yeah, one? That's, yeah, the little little yeah. baby electric. We need to have that video chat. We do. <laughs> I need I need my electrician <laughs> friend to walk me through it. Because <laughs> I am, like, the least technically savvy person I know. Um... But yeah, that's that's taken up quite a bit of my time, and then also I've been working on training up my new employee, um, training him up on the grinder, training him up on uh, the tools, trying to get him ready for working on production runs and stuff, uh, working on prototyping some uh, standardized hammer styles um, so that we can start producing repeatable uh, kind of hammers um and so yeah it's it's been a lot of planning and development and all that kind of stuff and not a lot of work in the other spheres <laughs> to be honest um yeah most most of my time's taken up with that so i haven't actually had an opportunity to do anything maker wise i did a live stream where i forged more graver blanks <laughs> so <it's> like... <laughs> that was a long stream too yeah, well, you know, I, I decided that I was just going to keep going until I finished the the last of that W1 that I had in stock, which I had 12 gravers worth, so um, got all those done. And those will, uh, some of those will probably be kept by me for, like, making my own gravers, and then I'm planning on starting to sell uh, pre-forged graver blanks rather than fully finished gravers. Um, it's just, it's not financially viable for me to sell finished gravers if i was to charge what i need to to make it financially viable no one would be able to afford them <laughs> so instead i'll be um pre-forging and annealing spheroidized annealing blanks and selling them as pre-forged blanks that will be relatively uh you know inexpensive but also already pre-formed for uh filing into your own graver styles and shapes and as people learn when they get into Japanese and any other kind of engraving, you end up having to develop your own geometries to fit certain tasks. 
and there is no way that as a a maker I could make every possible you know like iteration of Graver not with that attitude um, like yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I, I have made 20, I've filed up 20 of my own so far, and I need at least 20 more before I feel like I have a base set. <laughs> um, because, yeah, you, you have widths going from like 6mm down to uh, 0.5mm, but you it's in 0.5mm increments, so you can imagine each style of graver having, you know... 12 iterations. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, a lot of work. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, my song of the week this week, um, I decided to go uh, a little bit more, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of upbeat and up-tempo um, stuff, try and get a little bit more energy going in the shop because I am constantly... Running low on energy. <laughs> um, mm, by and answer. absolutely. How did you know? <laughs> no, it's all I want for Christmas. By by... <laughs> hey, that is a bop. That is a bop. <laughs> and now, no one who listens to the podcast can avoid it. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. terrible don't do that to people um no um <laughs> now you got me laughing i uh, know it's hearts burst into fire by bullet for my valentine um it's you're going back to my emo days but it's the more angry emo days <laughs> all right so um on my end the um heirloom dagger pommel is still um being very meticulously worked on it's um such a small mm-hmm. piece that has so much work into it um i have a distinct plan for it and um executing that plan is proving to be really testing my ability to make fine adjustments on something it's one of those things that looks very simple until you look closer at it and then you realize that it's nightmarishly hard um largely because the um it's hollow but the hole is actually going through in a way that um because it's got angled faces the buttons are actually on a like a trapezoidal silhouette um and it has to Button be wish you had a lathe yeah well i got a lathe now but it's, <laughs> i know uh, <laughs> <laughs> wish you knew how to use it right <laughs> well that's right i'm still training up with it but it's um yeah it's the one side is now pretty much bang on one pommel button now i'm 50 percent done um, and i realized i went um a little too far shaping the other one down and it's loose so i now have oh, to no. i allowed myself extra thickness so i've got to actually heat it up again and, and try and upset the edges to bring it out because it's like <laughs> half a millimeter too small of a radius so i need to just squeeze it out just a touch luckily i've got the material to do it if i'm very very careful um but <laughs> It's, I'll keep uh, my fingers crossed for you. I hope that more than that, big fudge. You know, I need toes crossed. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be hard to work, man. Cruising around your shop with your eyes crossed for me, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be worth it. I keep telling myself. I have to keep telling myself it's going to be worth it. The the final vision, which nobody knows except me, because I can see it in my head. Um, the Sax Puko combo is almost done. Probably by the time this episode goes out, it'll be done. Um, and I'm looking forward to having that out of my life. <laughs> um, it's looking good. Yeah, it's just it's it's a like he wants it rustic, but when you're making something deliberately rustic, you can it's a really deep rabbit hole. Like, mm-hmm. You start yeah. getting really picky with it, and um, it is fun though. Like one of the um, distressing things that I did to to give it its look was to actually like drag it around on a gravel road. Um, <laughs> that'll be like ultimate stone washing <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right because um, it wasn't I didn't want just stone washing I wanted it to be scratched and gouged and, and done in a very um, sort of mean way and I've got this beautiful piece of stag antler for the hand- handle that I've had to actually rivet in brass end caps to to uh, close off the pith uh, and seal them mm. and, and everything and it's um, yeah very deliberately ugly uh, in a really cool way 
Um, so, but I'll be glad to have it gone, to be honest. Um, so I can go back to uh, doing more work than I currently am on the keyhole slip joint that I'm doing, um, which is just so far going suspiciously well. Um, <laughs> if it was going any better, I'd think it was a setup. Um, so it's, I, I really want it to be finished because it's, it's just feeling really nice. Uh, and I want to see that final etch. Um, and, uh, I'm setting up some tooling cause I really want to master the art of doing domed pins. Um, mm-hmm. f- but not for handles. I really want to be able to put, I, I hate nail nicks in folders. It's, it's, I, I, seem, I seem to be alone in this. Everyone else is like, yeah, put nail nicks in. I hate them. I just, everything about them, I think they're just the most horrific thing ever invented in the knife community. Um, See, I, I, I like match strike nicks, but you never find match strike nicks anymore. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm all good with a thumb stud, but a thumb stud ha- sort of adds a very modern look to something. If mm. you might, you might be trying to do like something very antique looking or, or old world or mountain man looking, and a, and a thumb stud just looks too modern and too high tech for it. Um, but the perfect sort of um, stopgap between those is Delana dots, um, and mm-hmm. I, I really want to be able to put Delana dots yeah. into yeah. my folders. But I need to be able to uh, master the art of domed pins to be able to pull that off and do that justice. So um, domed pins, if you want to do them really well, require some specialist tooling, um, which you've pretty much got to fabricate yourself. I'm not aware of anyone that actually sells anything that um, does it, but. I'm going to make a, a set of punches for it and a special clamp that you hold the knife in to actually perform the task, which luckily for me... Nick, Nick Wheeler style setup? Yeah, with the little adjustable bolt with the little divot in it and all that sort of thing. But luckily yeah. I can make a miniature version because I'm making folders. So um, it, it should be interesting, but it's a, it's a big learning curve to do it right. You should get a um, spinning attachment for your Fordham. Um, you can get Fordham already button spins. spinning. <laughs> yeah. No, it's called button spinning. It's what they use for uh, domed pins on folders and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it spins the... It, basically, it's a burnishing tool that's a cupping tool, and it burnishes the, the thing round and, and domed. We will have words after the show. This is, this is interesting to me. <laughs> um, my song of the week, just to bring the energy back down from Samsung, um, is a kind of morbid song, but it's 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 cool to listen to. It's called "The Tale of Solomon Snell" by a singer called Duncan Sheik. Um, hmm. It's about a man who places far too much trust in people throughout his entire life, um, and it's just this, this story of him getting screwed over by a series of people uh, until <laughs> finally he he catches yellow fever and dies um but he he doesn't he's worried that he's not really going to die and they're going to bury him and he's going to wake up in his grave because he's paranoid um and they bury him in a safety coffin and then he organizes to have somebody paid to listen for the bell um and that guy uses the money to get drunk and doesn't hear the bell (laughs) oh my god oh dear Yeah, it's it's a good song. Um, a little bit morbid, but it's kind of good. It kind of fits with that sort of uh, Neil Gaiman style of fantastical, uh, light-hearted horror um, that you get with like mm. Coraline, Coraline and that sort of thing. Like it would fit perfectly in a, a film like that. Um, but on its own, it's a it's a good song. Uh, kind of uh, morbidly funny. So, how about you, Koi? What have you been up to this week? Well, other than actually... dropping my jaw with that billet. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was a great week to do the podcast because I had Dakota Wilson in town. He flew across the U.S., so he's in uh, Oregon, and I'm in eastern Tennessee, and he flew all the way across over here, and he brought some stuff, and we, uh, we worked on some steel. Um, a lot of uh, people who follow me will know from the post, we made some Tomahogany meteorite uh, Damascus. So mm-hmm. he brought the Tomahogany, and I'm not much up on my Japanese culture, but he really is. He's a studies those arts and whatnot. And so he brought some Tamahangane swords that he, he collects those swords and he brought some pieces that were not worth restoring. Apparently certain qualities of it didn't make it worth restoring. And so he brought these blades that were uh, one nice, good size one, probably 18 inches long. And then uh, a couple of smaller ones. And we cut those up and put those in a canister and we uh, floated it in 1084 powder. 
and some chunks of meteorite that I had on hand. And we made a billet out of that. And then also made some copper mine out of it as well. So yeah. it, it, was a, it was a pretty stressful um, build because it's expensive material. And neither mm -hmm. of us had messed with that material before. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was real fun, though. It came out really well. The, the meteorite is so bright and so shiny with all that nickel in it. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. So he yeah, was I here for three. Jim said that he reached into my dreams and pulled out my perfect blade steel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he, he really wanted to put a copper element in it, but we didn't really have a good way to do that inside the canister, obviously. So yeah, we decided to just laminate it um, up with some copper and it. it came out well. Everything stuck and held together. He was here for two days, I believe. Yeah, two days. Um, and we worked about 10 o'clock every night just hammering through it to get it done. Because uh, And he was on his honeymoon, too. So I was honored. Oh, that he well. was, he, I was honored that he took the time out of his honeymoon to come up and, uh, and work with me. So It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So uh, my song of the week, I'm going to bring the tempo back up with Sam. <laughs> um, I've got uh, Outlaws and Outsiders by Corey Marks. Featuring Travis Tritt and Ivan Moody, who is the lead singer of Five Finger Death Punch. I'm a big uh, outlaw country fan, so. Um, In Tennessee? A, a, what? I know, right? Go I'm figure. Yeah, <laughs> Go figure. So uh, I relate to that aspect of the world, I guess. So That's a great song. It, it's great to rock on in the forge to it, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... For anybody that, for whatever reason, does not follow you, and you absolutely should follow this guy um, on Instagram, Baker Forge and Tool. Are you on Facebook as well? I am, but there is not a lot, of, not a lot going on over there. I, uh, yeah. I, I double post, so the post goes from Instagram over there. But right. I, I am on there. Same, same thing, Baker Forge and Tool. So. Yeah, but do you want to give a rundown to the listeners that aren't familiar with with you of what you do, what Baker Forge and Tool is all about? So we are uh, exclusively a maker of laminated exotic steels and mosaic Damascus. That's really our focus. We do also make some Mocha Magane, um, but the, the, the copper stuff is where we got started. Uh, I started making blades four, five or six years ago. Well, I don't know how far back you want to go. I could go all the way back to when I started blacksmithing, um, but that, that could take a while. <laughs> um, I've been smithing since I was about 14 and uh, loved the craft and did it on and off through high school. And uh, But I really only started getting into making Damascus probably four or five years ago. And the process of making the Damascus was so much more enjoyable to me, enjoyable to me than hand sanding a knife blade or handling something it was i like working with the hot steel that, that's where my passion lies and so made a lot of damascus and started um there's people were reaching out to me on instagram I, this was back when i only had like uh, 100 200 followers but i have guys reach out and say hey do you ever make damascus to sell and i was like i guess so what, what do you want i'll make you something so i started making damascus for guys here and there and um, I realized that that was kind of a, a void in the market right now, um, high quality Damascus that people could afford. And so I just kind of switched from making knives over to making steel and really started diving down that rabbit hole. Um, a big kick, uh, a big kick in my process was meeting Jason Knight, who's actually about an hour from me mm. and spent some time working with him. Um, picking up a lot of tips and tricks. I actually also got to meet and talk with Steve Schwarzer as well and, you know, really helped boost my Mosaic Damascus game, um, which is really, Mosaic Damascus is still near and dear to my heart. But um, Dakota, who we mentioned earlier, Dakota Wilson, he's actually who got me started on the copper. He asked me, hmm. he messaged me, he said, hey, I, he's bought Damascus from me at this point, and uh, he said, hey, I need something with some copper in it. i got a client who wants some copper in the blade. And at the time, I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know what the heck you're going to do with that. Um, <laughs> maybe etch it with some copper or something. Um, but he said, no, try, try, try to put some copper in it. So after some trial and error, I got a, a billet to stick. And this was, oh, probably a year and a half ago. So really not that long ago. 
Um, and this was, it was right as things were starting to kick off on the internet where it was starting to look popular, like people were starting to try it out. Um, and I, but I didn't know anybody who had, who had done it. And so I was just futzing around and melting copper in my forge. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> uh, that was the, uh, that was a lot of the beginning process, of course. Um, but I eventually nailed down a process and sent him some test billets and, uh, Dakota made a couple of knives and he freaking loved it. And so that's how I started making those. I started posting in cut photos and the guys who I'd been selling Damascus to were like, well, send me that too. Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> so kind of took off from there and just making different patterns and different variants using different materials. Um, yeah, it's become a, uh, a, a passion for sure. Um, it's an art form. It's not, you know, I don't make an, an end product. I just make a bar of steel. So I'm kind of wholesale. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I don't, I just get to see a really janky ink cut that I rough ground it, you know, 120 grit and then dipped in the etch tank. And that's what I get to see. I don't get to see the finished pieces until the makers send me the photos. And that's where, I mean, I just, I just love that. Uh, the community that's been built around it. Um, I, just I love seeing how love you it. shout out the makers that do use it um, because there's mm-hmm. been some truly stunning work done with with your pieces. Um, one of one of my favorites was that um, JB Blades Seven Five Fifty did that heckin' deep etch. It was so deep, and mm-hmm. um, the copper looked like a river running through it. It was amazing. Yes, he also did some carving on that piece, if I believe. Yes, yeah, carved yeah. spine on, oh, not or not spine, but up, up the back of the, the, the bevels. Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of his style with his knives. It's, it's incredible, the patience that man must have. <laughs> oh, I, I can't imagine. Um, yeah, he's actually got a little bit more of my steel, um, and I know he's working on something else, so stay tuned. There's some cool stuff working on that end. But, mm. uh, yeah, make, I try to shout out everybody who uh, uses my stuff and tags me. Now, of course... You don't tag me. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> I'm yeah. terrible at going through and running through my feed and finding anybody. So, uh, but if I if you get to, if you tag me, um, I'm definitely going to shout you out. So, and the good, nice quality photos go a long ways because I can repost a nice quality photo. So, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just knives that people have been making out of your stuff. I saw some tattoo guns a while back, which were that was yeah. really cool to see that. Yeah, that's um, yeah, and the. And the putter face. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. So uh, the tattoo machine guy, that's Aaron Kane. And he's actually a big name in this, in that sort of industry. Um, he's been doing it for like 40 years or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, it's a long time. And he makes, so I don't post every single one of his machines that he makes with my steel. But he's making one with my stuff at least every every month, every two weeks. Um, oh, wow. And it's realize. just different yeah, he just he makes a ton of those things, and uh, actually, thanks thanks for reminding me. I need to post another one of those. It's been a while since I it has, put yeah. up a tattoo machine. Um, actually, just sent him some uh, Mokumagane, so um, there'll be a, one of those coming out soon too. Um, but yeah, and also the putter faces. Uh, again, an industry I didn't realize would use this sort of stuff. Um, but those putters are like five thousand dollar putters. So I don't know how much use they're actually going to (laughs) see. You'd be surprised. (laughs) Uh, Country country club retirees. Mm -hmm. More money than sense. I know that the the billet you made this week is probably going to hold a a special place in your heart, but do you have a favorite billet or pattern that you do? Because there's a few that you do quite a lot of, I've noticed. Like your raindrop kumai. Right, yeah, so do I have a favorite? Good question. Um, I do make quite a bit of a handful of different patterns. Um, I try to rotate through them as best I can uh, because some makers will really gravitate towards certain patterns and certain steels, and others won't care at all about them, and they'll want something totally different. And so I try to rotate through them, but um, I, I really enjoy working with wrought iron. Um, anything that's got wrought iron in the pattern, um, just adds this rough, um, down earth element to it because it just looks like freaking tree bark, you know? You're going to, you're going to love this slip joint I'm working on there. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, yeah. So anything with wrought iron, that's, uh, that recent one I did, the Shichmai, 
um, layup. That one was really, really fun um, and actually sold really well. I'm excited to see what comes of that. Uh, we only did that like two weeks ago, so it'll probably be another week or so before we start seeing blades roll out. Um, and I, I see normally about a week for shipping, and then two weeks makers are finishing blades, so um, we'll start seeing some photos of what that looks like. But that was my favorite, the Shichimai with wrought iron cladding, Damascus core. Uh, no, Damascus cladding, ADCRV 2 core. Yeah. Do you get tempted when you see some of those, you know, you're saying you sort of strip off a little bit of an end cut and have a peek. Um, do you ever sort of see that and go, you know what, I really want to drop making billets and make something out of this? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I am not a very good knife maker, so... <laughs> I beg to differ. I've seen some of your past work. You've got to scroll back a long way on your Instagram profile to see it, but I've you seen do. some of your work, and it is you lovely. Do. Oh, well, that's just the steel. If you got any closer, you'd see all those <laughs> non grit scratches that weren't taken out and that sort of thing. Um, but no, I, I do get tempted from time to time. And I, I, I take care of that by handing a billet to my shop mate, Josh. Um, so I have, um, I have a shop that I sh sort of share with uh, Josh Morgan, Primitive Woodsman Knives. Um, he does it's a 3,000 he does he does his he actually used to work for master smith daniel winkler um and he did production grinding for him and his business uh for like three or four years i think and that guy can grind a blade blank from just a blank to a finished satin grit off a belt in about eight minutes it's insane jeez i need to video him doing it because it's mind-boggling how quickly he does that i would but, love to um, see a reel of that <laughs> <laughs> a reel that's what we need to do we need to do a reel um whenever we have somebody in the shop i always introduce them to josh as the fastest eight minute knife maker you'll ever meet and so it's fastest it's belt in the west fastest <laughs> belt in the west that's right <laughs> but uh he's a really great knife maker and we share a three thousand square foot shop space and so whenever i've got a billet especially if it's one that i really want to see what the pattern's going to look like or i need to test heat treat or something like that i'll hand him a bar and say hey throw a design on here go to town and give me some feedback so i do get to see a finished knife from time to time that way but yep. yeah yeah awesome yeah um do you have uh, it's hard to play favorites but do you have like favorite pieces made out of your steel like particularly memorable things that people have made with it. Mm. You know that would have been something to have think thought about before I came on here. <laughs> Nothing sticks um, out in your memory. Well, for Mosaic Damascus, um, there's a piece that was done by actually by Dakota Wilson. Uh, he called it Void Walker with the blade. And if you scroll on his Instagram, it's got the background is like his purplish blue starry night background and that mosaic is one of my mosaics and i took it to blade show and i sent him a photo right before i left for blade show and he said i want that mosaic bar right there don't don't yeah. sell it and i told him i was like oh i'm taking it to blade i kind of want to show it around and he said all right take it to blade but i'll pay for it now and you just bring it back don't let anybody else have it <laughs> and so that was one of my favorite mosaic patterns hands down um as far as any other makers, I had a blade end up in Blade Magazine, actually, um, done by, I need to pull that up. Uh, I can see, I can see his profile in my head right now. So this is what you get when you... Out that the uh, this... Blade Magazine don't tell people when they put their blades in there. Well, so they did mention me, but you know, it's not my blade. Yeah. So even if, I mean, I was mentioned as the steel maker, but... I don't think they even put my company name in there. So, but uh, I didn't know they don't. So they don't even let the knife maker know. No, not at all. Because um, Warcraft Forge, <laughs> I was talking to Warcraft Forge this morning. He had three of his knives appear in the latest Blade magazine in the same edition, and he still didn't get told. <laughs> That's crazy. He found it because he was at Blade Show and he saw the magazine sitting there he's like oh cool the new one's out and he's flipping through it and it's like oh there's one oh there's another one oh there's another one. <laughs> well and i don't even get blade magazine so i don't even get the chance to look through the magazine itself somebody just sent yeah. me a photo and said hey that's your stuff isn't it 
Um, it was Paul McDaniel of uh, McDaniel Knives. It was a big chopper, um, like almost a machete-length chopper, and it has uh, our Damascus-clad Gomai with Copper Mascus inside it. Um, it was a really wonderful piece. He sent that uh, knife out to get a leather sheath done by Titan Leather, I believe is the name. They just changed yep. their name um, recently, but yeah. Um, that was a really cool piece, and that one ended up in Blade Magazine. Cool. Very cool. Do you have any plans for uh, creations coming up that we, have, we haven't seen yet? you want to like release the, mm. the teaser on the show? Well, I thought about releasing that meteorite tomahogany on the show. <laughs> but I I ended up needing a post for that for last night, and I was like, well, I'm gonna have to go ahead and post it because I I need to keep up my nightly posts. So um, I haven't slept since. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wanting to branch out into meteorite for a long time, and and not tomahogany, but I've been wanting to do some meteorite uh, Damascus for a while. So I now that I've done it and made a successful billet, uh, I'm gonna test it again and start doing some maybe some small batch releases but dosh garn if that material and expensive as heck are you using like a cambo dcello um meteorite or that is a good question i am not up to date on my meteorite so i don't know it looks cool that's all i know <laughs> <laughs> i know there's yeah, a couple I'll, of different I, I, versions I, or variants yeah i went i went shopping for a meteorite a while back because i was kind of like thinking about making a meteorite blade and there are a number of like um iron meteorites that are for sale in chunks mm -hmm. and campo de cielo tends to be the most common one that i see in large enough chunks that would be worthwhile purchasing yeah, right. <laughs> like, you... sam and i were talking a while back about uh, I, I really want to that the first um like iron dagger ever found in history was from tutankhamun's tomb and it was 3,500 BC. It was long before iron mm. was being used properly, but it, they got it from a meteorite. And the dagger is actually quite ornate and beautiful, and I wanted to recreate it. Um, but then I looked up how much it would cost to actually get that much meteorite to forge a blade out of. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's so. incredibly expensive. Um, and they, I mean, they sell it by the gram. So when they're selling it by that mm -hmm. amount, you know it's expensive <laughs> um, i've got a more realistic goal now of maybe making some bolsters for a folding knife out of it you know you get that stuff with the cool striations <laughs> through it and the, the crystallization pattern and everything uh, the whitman whitman starting pattern yeah yeah it's that's, amazing that's the stuff we put in the can that's what i had i had in uh, a little scrap off cuts from ak designs on instagram he sent those to me um and that's what we used in there but yeah to get a slab big enough to make even a uh like a, a handle scale or let alone a knife blade i mean that stuff is crazy expensive um and it's really fragile we found because i i mean i could bust it up with a hammer just on an anvil yeah so we uh, had one land um not far from me actually um it was i, I <laughs> it burned up over my house and I was in my study and it was middle of the night and I saw what I thought were flashlights outside. And I live, if you've ever seen where I live, there are, there's nobody for miles. So when you see flashlights in the darkness outside your house, you go a-looking. Um, mm -hmm. I, but I, I went out there ready to do some damage and then the sonic boom hit. <laughs> and it, oh, that, that'll test your sphincter, let me tell you. Um, but it landed only a few kilometers from where... I live, and um, I, I was thinking, hmm, do I get in the car? <laughs> it could be something good. <laughs> and the, the worst part is that, like, only 10% or so of meteorites are actually iron meteorites. Most but, of them are stony. But you miss 100% of the meteorites that you don't go chasing. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yep. Um, yeah, occasionally my friend gets, like, uh, random little chunks of meteorite from up in the Pilbara from his friends. Um, because like uh, Western Australia is one of the richest sites for uh, iron meteorite finds. That's because big. Uh, which they're <laughs> yeah, they're fucking everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and we also have a lot of metal detectors here, like guys who do it for fun. Because we are also one of the largest producers of gold in Australia as well. Um, and so they end up finding meteorite chunks out there in the in the Pilbara, and 
Yeah. If you know the right people, sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a listener email that you might be able to help us answer. Sure. I don't know what nope. uh, your history is with blacksmithing, but you might be able to help us. No it's promises. from Clayton, and he says, Right now, I am just using charcoal in my forge, but I want to try other fuel sources. Which solid fuel would you recommend? Should I go straight from for coal or try to find some coke? I know charred wood is also an option, but I haven't tried that yet either. Thank you for doing the forge cast. It is the highlight of my week, and I listen to it most every day, even if it is old episodes. Oh, thanks for listening, Clayton. Yeah, much appreciated. If um, if it burns, it will heat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've used I've used wood and I've used coke. I haven't used any of the, like I haven't used bitumized coal or anthracite coal. Uh, I've used uh, metallurgical coke and uh, wood, and wood is a terrible fuel source. It will work. <laughs> but you'll get you'll get great is... heat with it, but it, it burns so quick. Yeah, and and you like the increased moisture means that there's increased scale rates and and all that kind of stuff, and you need to preheat the wood slowly, otherwise you start getting wood like cracking and splitting and doing all kinds of nasty stuff when the moisture expands inside it. Um, hardwood is better than softwood if you're going to do that. Um, the harder the wood, the better, and the older the wood, the better. <laughs> Uh, and as far as like coal and coke, like I've used coke and coke is amazing because it burns really clean. Uh, you don't get the big sulfurous cloud that you do with what I've seen of anthracite and, and um, bitumized coal that I've seen used by the local blacksmiths cl- clubs here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it depends on what you have available locally. I love my hardwood like charcoal. I think it's a phenomenal fuel, and you can liquefy steel in that with a hand crank blower. So yeah, it's cheap and easy to get here. But I've found out that in America, hardwood lump charcoals much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yep, we prefer our briquettes, which are yeah. not charcoal. <laughs> Things you can light with a match. <laughs> Don't use don't use no. briquettes at a forge. It no, creates no, no. the ho- most horrible kind of clinker you can imagine. I think everybody it, who's gone clinker. into blacksmithing <laughs> with the solid fuel forge has had that lesson, learned that lesson the hard way. Well, that's what I started like a, with. It's so. like a rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I started as a fourteen-year-old in the driveway, a pile of uh, briquette charcoal and a file. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. but since then, that's... I just use gas. So, I'm no help. I'm just just gas guy now. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like here in Australia, it's almost impossible to get a hold of metallurgical coke or metallurgical coal. Mm. Um, the only reason I have a couple of bags is because my local blacksmiths community got a deal with BHP to sponsor them uh, by supplying metallurgical coke. But um, yeah, otherwise you're you're out of luck. Um, so hardwood charcoal is probably the best way to go in Australia, but in the states, I know that they can get anthracite and bitumized coal relatively easy, um, from what I've seen. Yeah, there's um, uh, like the Blacksmith Depot and Jant Supply. You can actually just order bags of it online here. So, yeah, if you're in the states, very, you can very find envious it. of that. It's it's rare as hen's teeth here, uh, Coke. But uh, one thing I'd point out with the charcoal, because I'm a big charcoal fan. I even got a video on my YouTube channel explaining why I prefer charcoal, um, but keep in mind what plant it comes from because not all woods charcoal the same and like sam mm-hmm. said hardwoods are better if you're doing a wood forge just the same with not all charcoal is made with hardwood um so get hardwood lump charcoal um and you'll you'll have a much better time of it um, but um, you can get stuff made of jarrah in australia most of it's made of mangrove um and mm. mangrove lump charcoal does not burn as well as something like jarrah lump charcoal so. No, um, I, I when I used to use charcoal a lot, I was using stuff imported from Indonesia. I don't All even right. know what it was before it was turned into charcoal, <laughs> but <laughs> it was good. It was a hard. It was a hardwood. It was very high density. Um, but I mean, the Jam- Japanese famously use pine charcoal. Hmm. Uh, it's just that they burn through it much faster than have to hire you know, somebody to, to just keep fueling the forge for you while you, so you can actually get some work done. 
No, they don't hire them. They just, you know, you're, the the payment is you get to watch a Smith work. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it, it's definitely something to something to consider because um, charcoal does not pr- uh, produce clinker, whereas uh, anthracite and bituminous coal and and coke all produce clinker at various rates. But charcoal, you you won't get any clinker at all. Just a lot of ash. Yeah, and hardwood or any kind of charcoal will maintain a flame even without air mm. whereas most coal forges require constant airflow yeah it's one of the um, things i love about charcoal if i need to go off to my grinding room for a couple of hours even i can come back and then start cranking the hand crank blower and the forge lights right back up <laughs> yeah that's so it's good um, whereas if you've watched the episodes of fortune fire where they do like coal fires almost always there'll be one guy who doesn't crank his blower oh, for long enough that it, it goes out. It doesn't <laughs> help that they give them tiny miniaturized hand cranks <laughs> that look like something from a you know Barbie's first forge kit. You almost want to play like kazoo music, Benny Hill theme and kazoo while they're doing it. It's got like a one inch throw on those handles. What the hell is going on? I don't know. Like every time I see them, I'm like, I don't know what that blower looks like, but it's weird. It's Whatever really it is. strange. <laughs> it looks like those um those like chargeable uh, torches. Yeah, yeah. The, the little dynamo on the chargeable torch. <laughs> yeah. I've even tried looking for them to see if I can find the model. I can't find it. I think they've deliberately made these tiny little weenie cranks <laughs> it looks that's like it. one of those music boxes that's going to play the harry potter tune <laughs> yeah it's work bitch oh it's incredible the but, ebay um... special of blowers <laughs> yeah. all right well hopefully that hopefully that long monologue helps you clayton <laughs> so when, when we have people come on the show coy we like to ask them who uh, is it is an inspirational figure in their work um did you have anybody in mind that you wanted to tell the world about and shout out i i do and i i don't think he's been an inspiration on the show before um but uh charlie ellis also known as charles lionheart on instagram yes he has been he has been. <laughs> dang it dang it i couldn't remember right. it's easy uh, to have him as an inspiration man. it sure <laughs> is i think alex and i both have used him at one point yeah. or another. <laughs> dang. all right well add me to the trifecta i guess because that's it uh, fair enough he and i are good buddies um he lives about an hour and a half from me i'm in like maker oh. central i don't know why i, I just landed here <laughs> um yeah i'm i am stupid jealous of the ability for you guys to all hook up like i'm feel so alone here <laughs> <in> <laughs> uh well the uh i i first met him actually at, at jason knight's shop um jason and i were working on a collaborative mosaic and we were trying to figure out a time to get back in the shop and finish it and uh, we were going back on certain days, and he said, no, this day doesn't work, that day doesn't work, whatever. And then uh, he said, hey, how about you come out tomorrow, because Charlie Ellis will be here. And at the time, I didn't know who Charlie was. And so I was like, all right, sure, that works for me. And so I get there, and I, I meet Charlie Ellis, and I, I didn't know who he was until we kind of got to talking. And then I realized, wow, this guy knows what he's doing, because he started pulling out some some of his uh, pocket knives, some of those folders he does. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, wow, okay, very cool. <laughs> um but the big reason he's an inspiration to me is the um, some of his Damascus work. Um, he and I were talking about some of the Pentrose patterns, um, and at the time he hadn't tried any, and well, we were just kind of brainstorming Pentrose patterns on Instagram. And like three days later, he posts a story of him and um, in Florida with oh shoot, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. The grandfather of Mosaic Damascus. Uh, wow. Spacing, spacing. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, he posted a, a picture of him working with the Pentrose p- patterns and actually doing it. And it was exactly what we had just been talking about. And it, the way he just puts his, when he gets his mind onto something and he just jumps on it, he starts doing it. Um, and he's got a really, really unique design. Um, his kitchen knives or all the facets and hard edges that he gets on those are just just gorgeous and so mm. um he's a big inspiration for me steve swarzer there we go gosh you've got him on your shirt you're wearing his you're wearing his shirt oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i am wearing his shirt 
I'm I can't sitting believe here thinking about his name. Grandfather of Mosaic. You're not thinking of Steve Schwartz or the guy in your shirt, are you? I, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah, because like, you should have been just I was, I was thinking exactly the same thing. I was staring at the logo. And I know going, Steve's in I'm Florida. Sure he's talking about Steve. I'm pretty sure he's talking about Steve. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm never going to live that one down. <laughs> Dang. That's great. When, when we have when we have Steve Schwartzer on this on the show, we're gonna have to mention. It. Yeah, we've been yeah, meaning like... to reach out to him ever since we spoke to Jim Morrissey because uh, he mm-hmm. lives like a couple of houses down from him, <laughs> and they're always hanging out in each other's shop. And yeah, we really want to have Steve on the show. We will oh, definitely have to tell him this story. No, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. But Steve is a hoot. You should definitely have him on. He is a character. He is everything I've seen of him. He's just a wonderful guy. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, we've definitely been planning it. We're just we're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Sam, I don't know if you've got any more questions for for Koi. I'm I'm interested. Um, so, because you know, I was looking through uh, back through your log again and seeing the Mokume um, Sanmai that you've been doing recently. Mm-hmm. And so. Like, obviously, I, I haven't done Kumai yet. I tried it once with Brass uh, before I watched Alex's video, purely because I wanted to see if I could do it without being told how. <laughs> and I failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I noticed that a lot of the time you don't have an outside steel jacket protecting the, the Mokume. Is there, like, is there a steel jacket before you... Uh, so, are you doing like a gomai and then grinding that jacket off, or uh, most of the time, no? So, w- our process for doing the mokumai when we laminate that with the core, uh, we actually do it in a stainless packet, so it's an oxygen-free okay. environment. But there is no um, protective uh, gomai layer or fifth layer, as you would, I guess call it, on the outside. No. Hmm. Very right. cool. That's some patience. And that's that. Th- <laughs> And that goes the same with like your copper mascus and stuff like that as well. Like um, same deal. Because I, 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 for me, I'm I'm always like wondering the the different rates of of forging, um, like the for, different rates of uh, forging speed between steel and copper mm-hmm. makes like forging out a bar of copper mascus seem like an almost impossible task to me like you know just from a physics like standpoint yeah, my head try- has trouble wrapping around it the, the funny thing i found with it was because uh, i was worried about exactly the same thing being a massive physics nerd but i found that when i was doing the the complete sealed billet to do humai um the copper acts more like a fluid than a solid uh, at heat and because mm. of that it's sort of like if you were to have um uh a balloon full of water you can shape the balloon but it's always going to have exactly the same volume um so it the the steel is going to move at a much slower rate but the the copper is sort of hydro locked so to speak in there so it actually doesn't compress as quickly as you'd think um you can put mm. quite a thin layer of copper in there and it will stay about the same thickness by the end mm-hmm. of the, the billet formation because of that hydro lock that happens it's it's amazing the chemistry that goes on or the physics i right. should say that goes on yeah, so it, it seems to be a ratio of steel to copper. Um, if you use a really thick piece of copper, let's say you're going to do a sand mine with a solid bar of copper on either side of a core, that it squishes out all over the place, and um, you lose a ton of copper. But if you're using really thin, like 20-gauge sheet copper in between 8-inch uh, pieces of steel, and you, re- you stack those into like a copper Damascus billet, uh, you get almost no squeeze out. Um, I, I do not know the physics exactly behind it, but it, uh, it is much more f- uh, efficient to do it that way than to start with big, thick pieces. So are you, are you forging it like, um, you know, up at, up around like, well, uh, like melting temperatures for copper or are you forging at a much lower temperature than you normally would with steel? So with all of ours, we do solid state diffusion bonding. So the process for making Mokume is actually a really similar process that we use when we're making when we're making the sanmai with the steel. So we take it right, right up to a uh, right before it turns to a liquid, basically. So okay. those atoms and molecules are jumping around and sticking to each other. So, but we do not take it to a liquid. Um, so, are you like um, thermocoupling in your forge to control temperatures and stuff like that, or so? 
anytime we're doing a fusion bond with copper and steel, that is all done in our kilns. So we have uh, two big, giant, even heat kilns. And that's where okay. all that happens because we've actually found that it needs a pretty decent soak time to get a good, um, reliable adhesion all the way through the billet. It actually needs a good soak. And so we found the even heats do really well at that. Um, perfect temp hold, and we can leave it in there for a certain amount of time. Um, the forges, again, we could do a thermal couple, but you know you're going to get hot spots. Um, yeah. So. I, I and so, like, I... After you, no, I was I, like, I was the the logical follow-on for that is it like are you using the even heats to continue the forging process, or are you only using that for the uh, adhesion and then switching over? Depends on the layup. Um, some okay. we will, uh, most of the time we will switch to the forge for the majority of the drawing process because I can get that. I've got a really big uh, ribbon burner forge, and I can get it turned down quite a bit and keep it fairly even mm -hmm. in there. Um, and for the majority of the forging, we'll do that. Um, but the more and more efficient we're getting with tooling, power hammer, rolling mills, the amount of forging time is getting shorter and shorter, which is Man, I really imagine awesome. rolling mills would make that a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. Yep. And so we're gradually getting away from the forge, I think, because the forge uh, adds elements that are um, you know, not being able to do a soak time. you got to watch it. you got to pay attention. It, it adds more error to the process. And so we're trying to get away from the mm. forge. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's just a point of interest for me because, you know, like, obviously, it's it's such a different process to Damascus in a lot of ways. <laughs> because, the brain you know, you can have... Yeah, you right. can have a relatively uneven heat on a Damascus billet, but as long as it's all above that temperature at which steel will bond, you're fine. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, you know, you're, you're, you're forging it at temperatures up around the welding temperature. But, you know, with copper, if you're fluidizing that copper in the, in the sleeve, then I'm imagining that you're going to get uh, uneven distribution in some cases, especially if you're using something like a forging press yeah, rather than pockets. like a rolling mill where you're going to get even. Correct, um, yeah. And that's a big... One of the big reasons why we don't liquefy the copper is because yeah. the, the patterns change dramatically. That's hard to control. Um, it was one I of mean, the things in, in that video I put out, I, I talk about liquefying, but I quickly learned after doing it more that you, you don't need to get near that because it's it's just a braise. So it's all about sort of finding your, your right temperature and, and sort of gently just moving it down and moving it down. And that gentle movement tends to get that the most even distribution over the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and plus not liquefying it means you won't have it squirt out of a pinhole on the side and uh, <laughs> yes. make your day into a really bad day <laughs> yes yes no yep for sure and so yeah and you're doing that all in that stainless in those stainless jackets rather than you know like welding up the the edges of your bar uh most of them so um you can't when we're making a big old bar of um copper Damascus, where it's just alternating layers of steel, copper, steel, copper, steel, copper, um, to use as cladding later, those bars, we can actually just tack weld those up and put them all in the, in the kiln, close that door and turn it on and let it soak with no welding all the way around. And we pull that out and, set and close it in the press and it's a solid bar. The only time we would use stainless packets is much further down the process where we've got finished cladding, we've got, you know, it's too far along for anything to go wrong. If something went wrong at that stage, we're ruining, you know, components and um, billets that were previously finished. Sorry, there's something barking in my ear. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. So my, my chicken has just laid an egg. So I got just, <laughs> letting everyone know. Um, so, no, it's not actually necessary to weld it all the way up, all the way around, or use stainless packets, but it is more reliable that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's the that's the thing. Like uh, doing it at home is very possible. It's a pain, and there is so much more. Like there's this baseline of getting it to work, and then everything above that is the art form. And it's why I've <laughs> been following you for so long, and I admire everything you do so long because you just live so much in that art arena, arena where you've perfected the process so much that it's just these. My every piece you put out, man, is a mind blowing feat. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that's that. I mean, the passion is the art for me. Um, yeah. Nailing down the process was 
you know, a, a time consuming part, but you know, I've got guys who are in the shop now who, you know, work for me and I'm teaching them the process and they are going to focus on the majority of the making of it. And I focus on the designing of it and the process of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's just like Damascus. If you, you can break it down to a series of accurate steps and those <laughs> steps, if followed, will result in a billet. So once you've refined that process to a T, you can focus on that design. And there's so much room for cool design as you, you know, sort it's of exemplify limitless. in your... Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a canvas that you can paint. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I apologize. We have a fourth <laughs> guest on the show. <laughs> like, like I said, she's busted her leg, so we've had to put her in a cage inside the house so that we can monitor her, her process. Ah. Um, and yeah, anytime she lays an egg, she likes to let us know that she's laid an egg. It's gotcha. good. She should and be proud. So this, this, this is how she lets us know. <laughs> if I managed to lay an egg, I'd be impressed with myself too. <laughs> Honestly, the size of the eggs she's been pushing out recently, I'm not surprised. She's as loud as she is. <laughs> Yeah. So, where can our listeners find you if they haven't already been following you? Give us all of the places because that you've got a website as well. They can buy this amazing stuff that you make. So I've moved to selling everything off my website, and that's uh, BakerForge.com. Um, I post stuff on Instagram just to let people know what's going up on the website, but everything is sold through the website. So, www.BakerForge.com. Excellent. And um, obviously, Baker Forge and Tool on Instagram uh, and Facebook as well. Uh, anywhere else? Uh, got a TikTok, Baker Forge and Tool over there. Uh, not super active, but I, I post random stuff over there from time to time. So, cool. uh, but that's that's it. So, yeah, rock and roll. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and get to meet you, sort of quote unquote, in person, properly. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you DMs. so much for having me. <laughs> yeah well uh yeah I, no it's been fantastic as i mentioned the the community is just a huge passion of mine and so to get to meet other makers whether it be in person or face-to-face -face via uh, skype is just it's a you know a dream come true so i've been following both you guys for a while although i realized the other day for some reason i wasn't following uh you alex for some reason i was following you but somehow it bumped me off. I have been hearing reports lately that Instagram has been unfollowing people on their accounts, mm -hmm. um, and I've, and also following random people as well. Like friends of mine have been like, "Why am I following this pottery company? I don't mm -hmm. follow them." <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's yeah, it's yeah. strange Actually, times. When we when we jumped on, I just wanted to take a look at your stuff again, just to you know kind of refamiliarize myself so that I had some talking points, and I realized that it had unfollowed. You, Koi, from, <laughs> like, my account had unfollowed you, so I was like, oh, but yeah, it's, it's happened to me multiple times. I've I've unfollowed, like, Jerry Fisk and, like, Jason Knight and stuff. I'm like, why would I unfollow? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's all right. I, I, I didn't hold it against you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I know I follow him, and... I, for a second, I almost didn't hit follow because I was like, he's going to see that I followed him and he's going to realize I wasn't. <laughs> and he's going to be Honestly, like, oh, you I've bastard. Been, my Instagram has been taken off lately, which is awesome. But the downside is that the notification section sort of glitches out and you miss follows, you miss comments, yeah. mm -hmm. you miss all this stuff that goes on. And I only get to see about a quarter of what's actually happening. So I'll go back through it to show an old post to somebody that I'm talking to them about and I'll be like, oh, this post. And then I'm like, oh, why are there eight? comments that i have no responded to on this post <laughs> well you know what's strange yeah, I, I, uh i just hit my 10k mark my 10k followers well done and they know oh, congrats well thank you but they no longer show you where you would go to see who's liked your posts or liked your mm. where it has your collection of likes and comments yeah. mm -hmm. it no longer shows them as individuals it's all loop just grouped together by post so yeah 270 people liked this post they don't get yeah. to see individual likes anymore, which it's like I kind of don't like. They're, they're trying to convert everybody to just see people as the masses, and we are sort of mm -hmm. people that like to see people as the individuals. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, not good. That was... Plus, it gives you a little. Plus, it gives you a little jump when you you know see someone that you actually admire as liking your posts. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like Mike Tyre liked one of my posts the other day, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 
The hat yeah. approves. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But um, no, uh, hopefully our listeners who aren't following you shamefully um, jump on and, and, and maybe check to see whether or not Instagram has let you continue live following. Right, yeah, uh, everybody go have, check. <laughs> in order to know uh, the new billets that he's dropping, you've got to be following him. It's a bit like Ryan at Otway Fiddleback. You've got to be in it to win it, so... Um, yep. Yeah, and if you're not if you're not on that, then you won't have a chance of getting anything. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, turn on those post Go notifications. On. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and uh, and thank you for giving us a, a different like perspective on on this kind of work because obviously recently we had uh, Zane Birch who takes a much more um, kind of laissez-faire, uh, simple, <laughs> yeah, simple <laughs> like simple um, uh, approach to like Mokume and stuff like that, which realistically you guys are working in similar fields mm-hmm. um that being and... said uh, my recent billet of Mokumagane was a challenge by zane he's like look you you're too pedantic about it do it like this just quick and dirty and watch it work and it worked <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't want to follow that system if i were doing it for money <laughs> but it did work so zane if you're listening yeah. the billet worked <laughs> Zane Zane is doing some awesome stuff. I, uh, he and I have chatted multiple times. He's a good buddy of mine, and um, that uh, that complex four way mosaic uh, mokumai he just did the basket uh, weave. The basket weave. There we go. Yeah, killer killer work. And when I saw him doing the progression shots on his stories, I sent him a message. I told him that's that's gonna be epic. Mm, Good luck. Yeah. And then he finished it, and it worked. And I was like, dang, man, what a guy. <laughs> Every time I see him yeah, set I mean, the benchmark, I'm like, surely that'll be him for a while. But then like, it's only like a week later, and he just sets the benchmark another foot higher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. And I mean, the thing is that neither your approach nor Zane's is like better than the other. It's just, it's interesting to see different approaches. Mm. Like, obviously, your your approach is going to be more repeatable, right? You're Like, when you're controlling temperatures and stuff like that, controlling soak times, really getting the, the art down, you're going to have a more repeatable result. And especially because you're supplying billets, like, right. large billets of steel and stuff like that, it's important to be able to have repeatable results. Mm-hmm. Zane's approach is fantastic because it lets, like, you know, any beginner... You know, Not pull off Mokume. Yeah, exactly. Like you can pull it off without needing the kiln and all that kind of stuff. But you're going to have failures. You're going to have you know like less success with large stuff because like most of stuff Zane does is relatively small in comparison to the billets that I've seen you be making. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it means that there's an approachability from both as- both aspects, and it's just you know shows that kind of spectrum of ability that can go into making something so complex right yeah um, so yeah i greatly value this uh this con- this talk it was great awesome awesome look forward to future talks too because you know we're going to be bending your ear <laughs> absolutely yeah, that's it i'm always here i'm always no, like <laughs> very very rarely does anyone come on the Forgecast only once <laughs> that's it <laughs> you're in the club right now. on right on so if uh, if anybody wants to email in a blacksmithing or bladesmithing question, you can DM us in uh, slide into our DMs on Instagram or Facebook, uh, or you can email us at ask.forgecast at gmail uh, Don't forget we've got we're back to just a normal regular Forgecast challenge. Um, so no prizes or anything. This is just for you to test yourself, and we want you this month to make something cool out of a bolt. Doesn't matter what size bolt. It could be a tiny bolt, and it could I have, be an industrial bolt. We don't care. I have been asked to clarify if all thread counts as a bolt. I'm willing to allow it, given that this isn't a competition, right? Like, there's no prizes. Uh, so, you'll, you'll get, if you want to use all thread, go for it. You'll get extra bootleg points from me if you, um, like, s- roughly stick well the nut onto the end of the all thread and call it a bolt. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then force yeah, something out of it. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to use all thread, if that's all you've got around, go for it. Just please be careful because a lot of all thread is zinc coated, galvanized. Yeah, so um, just be careful with that. But um, yeah, if people are looking for you, Sam, where can they find you? They can find me at the Chicken Hospital. Because Hyacinth will not shut up. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, you can find me at Bland, uh, Sam, 
Blam Towns. <laughs> Blam Towns. <laughs> no, that's my gunsmithing channel. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to happen if that ever goes ahead. <laughs> Anyway, Sam, Sam Towns Bladesmith um, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, The Kitchen Sink. Twitch. Uh, where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Etsy, Redbubble, sometimes Twitch, um, and on the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Coy, for coming on. Thank you, thank you. Hope everybody's having a great week. Keep those fires lit, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. See ya.